drink that building full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you. There were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's ball. At the devil's ball. Can I tell you one of my bucket list items? Do it. So sometime post-pandemic, I need to make this happen where I find a, a photographer to go around town with me and I will be wearing a, a Krampus costume and I want to sneak up behind salvation army santas around town <laughs> and just have my picture sort of taken looming in the background i'm down i will borrow a so, camera this sounds beautiful so let's make this happen yeah, yeah. let's let's make let's make my dream come true <laughs> hello this is the dispatchist a cheerful conversation about eternal damnation hi i'm victoria hey i'm jamin i'm jacob this week's topic is going to be krampus but first, did anybody bring anything to the party? I did. I brought a delicious drink called a Rusty Nail, and it is Drambuie and Scotch. Oh, you mm. know, we, we had a private bet going on this. Yes. That you would bring schnapps. You know, I thought about it, actually. I, and I'm, I'm a little curious bit disappointed. Why you, why you thought I should bring schnapps. Because it's what all the stylish Krampuses drink. <laughs> what flavor schnapps? Peach? Krampus? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> Krampus berry. <laughs> mis mistletoe flavor. Yamsk. <laughs> I was just, I actually, I, I was thinking about like homemade liqueur that has gone really, really bad so that it's, it's like so alcoholic and so sugary, like you get a hangover even before you drink it, like that kind of Yeah. And then I thought, you know what, maybe I'll save that for like something that's a little more sickly sweet. It, it sounds like you and I went to the same college. <laughs> we're, we're talking like bathtub punch here, right? Yeah. Right, right. Bathtub schnapps. Or, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wine you make in the back of a toilet in prison. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I bought a you... bottle of peppermint schnapps once and it oh. tasted like toothpaste. And I was so sad because I was going to use it for like icing or something like that, which actually would have worked perfectly well. So never mind. Yeah, I, I've had the same toothpaste liqueur experience, and it, it just was not enjoyable. No. Mm. So I brought some entertainment, being submerged and left to bubble in a pool of flaming hot chocolate with the adulteress. I'm down. The adulteress? The adulteress, not the adulteress. <laughs> There's... Those who adult. Oh, the... Uh, oh, 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 gotcha. Okay, not just like one lady who was the adulteress. No, collectively, all people who <laughs> have adulterated. The adulteri? Adulterers, that's it. All mm -hmm. the ladies. All the all single the ladies. ladies. All the married <laughs> ladies. It's different. All the sinful ladies. All the sinful ladies. We're not Put here to judge. Put your hands up. <laughs> I think that's heaven. Mmm, <laughs> mmm. <laughs> You know, when you go out to the Vietnamese restaurant and you order the pho noodle soup mm -hmm. yeah, and it's got those little round gray meatball slices, like mm -hmm. the mystery mm -hmm. meatballs. Mm -hmm. I found an entire package of them at the Asian grocery store frozen. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was so excited because you, you buy one, you melt it, you throw it in your, your noodles. And it, it was amazing. Yeah. No, and then like <laughs> last night I got brave and I put two in. 
And it was just, it was amazing. And so I brought pho for all of us, but I put in just the entire rest of the package. I mean, you will be bobbing for mystery meatballs. It's, it's <laughs> literally amazing. <laughs> it sounds rubbery and joyful. <laughs> I like my meat to bounce. So I have a new comic on my wish list, sort of, I'm not sure, but uh, it's um, a middle school comic and maybe more tweenies. Mystery of the Meanest Teacher, a Johnny Constantine graphic novel. Wow. Mystery of the Meanest Teacher? Do we have any Hellblazer fans? I was going to say that name sounds really, really familiar. So that's, yeah, that it's the Constantine. It is. It is. Not the one that Keanu <laughs> played, but the blonde one from Britain, although he's in America in this version because he's gone to a boarding school to escape all of these spirits he's ticked off in England. That sounds cool. It's pretty cute. The uh, artist worked on Squirrel Girl for a while, which mm -hmm. is a really charming comic. Actually, the guy's name is Charming, so it's his name is <laughs> like Doug Charm, I think, something along those lines. It's days like this I really wish I'd learned to read because <laughs> comics I, sound so fun. They're <laughs> getting funner every year. So in the in the original Hellblazer title, Johnny or John Constantine, he smokes a cigarette all the time. In this version, he's chewing on an all-day sucker which is kind of cute. It, it looks like it's going to be fun. I question the like friendly demon Etrigan that helps him and his crime fighting companions solve mysteries. It seems a little bit like a cult encyclopedia Brown, maybe, but uh, I'm mm. going to give it the benefit of the doubt because I really like the original Hellblazer title. So here's a question that's kind of on topic. Ooh. Are you a fan of either of the Sabrina franchise, any of the Sabrina teenage witch franchises? I'm ambivalent towards the original, but the Netflix series sure was dark. Oh, my gosh. So good. And there is a connection with our topic tonight. Well, there was like horrible goat thing for sure. Yes. And uh, there were the Yule Boys. Oh, they were there? Yes. After we talked a little bit about the Yule Boys, I think there I think there's a per, uh, Perchta. Perchton. In Perchton. Oh, that's the collective plural. The Perchta. And she has the boys that kind of come and wreak havoc. Oh, nice. Very traditional. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the chilling adventures of Sabrina. It was really effective. I like that one, too. Mm-hmm. I, I saw the scene where a bunch of pretty girls stripped down to their underwear and went into a cave. And then it got scary and I stopped watching. Oh, see, I saw the scene where the pretty guys got stripped down to their underwear. <laughs> so I guess you're watching the same series. It went there as well. It, it went there. Yes. Yes. I still got mm -hmm. scared. I didn't like it. I like there's an 80s, kind of an 80s vibe to it as well. It kind of was. Mm -hmm. Well, she's she's like retro in sort of a... Um, no, I'm thinking of another crime-fighting girl detective. Uh, are you thinking of uh, Veronica Mars? Quite. No. Maybe. No? I don't know. Some, uh, some, no, it was, um, oh my gosh, the movie version of like the classic girl detective novel. Oh, not a Nancy Drew. Yeah, it was the Nancy oh. Drew movie. Yeah. Uh -huh. There's a Nancy Drew movie? Like sapphic, sapphic business with the Nancy Drew? No, I think she was just wearing flat skirts and was kind of retro. Oh, Okay. Uh, less interested now. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> so a that's cool. A podcast I stumbled across and am in many ways indebted to for this episode and my limited contribution to it is Bone and Sickle, which is by hmm. Al Ridenor. 
Now, Al Ridnor wrote a fantastic book about the Krampus myth called The Krampus, good name, and The Old Dark Christmas. And it's a really deep dive into Krampus mythology, better research than anything I've been able to find anywhere else. And pretty soon after he wrote that book, he started the podcast Bone and Sickle, which is about the intersection of folklore and horror. It's good stuff so far. There's lots of sound effects. It's got a good production value. He does little musical story, not musical stories, little stories and skit type things in his intro. And then there's research as well. So it's a good storytelling, gentle horror podcast. Um, I've really liked what I've listened to so far, which is mostly the Krampus related episodes at this point. But I read a lot of sources, but they all sound like they're going to come from him because his book is so complete. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's a good, a good, it's a good podcast. It's a good book. Cool. Do you want to go right into the Krampus culture? Jump I've been on it. waiting forever to do this, yes. Where should we start? Pennsylvania or Austria? Oh, such a choice. Let's start in Austria. Okay. So we are looking at the 1600s, I'm guessing, uh, when Krampus kind of first manifested as Krampus himself. I feel like the stories kind of predate that, but that's where... He starts being the Christmas figure that he is now. And his, his legend really kind of starts with his own name and his own his own TV show. OK, so I don't know much, but I've been reading a lot. Who is Krampus? Well, the way that I understand Krampus, and this is one built solely of being fascinated or initially by being fascinated by the Krampus carton, the little postcards that people send, Bruce von Krampus. He is the guy who accompanies Santa Claus or St. Nicholas or Sinterklaas on his rounds. And he instead, he punishes the bad kids and either he beats, he puts them in a sack and beats them or he takes them to hell. It's unclear. Sometimes he throws them into a river too. There are options. Sometimes there's a river. Yes. As we talked, like sometimes there's a river and he now sort of has taken on this uh, role as an excuse to wear big, elaborate, furry, scary costumes and to have pyrotechnics and to get really, really drunk and rowdy and make out with strangers in Austria. Ooh. And so, yeah, but he's all he's over the Eastern European world and in, in their Christmas tradition. Yeah. And where it's kind of spun out into the modern world is there's this big sort of football guy culture of the Krampus run or Krampus loaf. We actually have one in Austin, at least for the last two years. So I'm excited about that. So you've got a bunch of 18 to 24 year old guys dressing yeah. up and not shaving and going out and running. Is that what happens? Um, um, loping. I mean, how is this different from your average Austin hipster anyway? I, I don't see the difference. They actually smell like goats. As I said. <laughs> More schnapps is involved. Mm, that's fair. Krampusberry. <laughs> but this is kind of these... People dressed up as shaggy, multi-horned devils with terrible, terrifying masks, sometimes carved traditionally of wood, sometimes of latex. Very devilish, not too different from the movie that we saw fairly recently, 2015, Krampus. Um, and they just kind of mob the streets and run around. There's faux wrestling matches between Krampus 
they call them Rempler to, to push or to shove. Uh, and so I, I love the idea of this faux wrestling match between two Krampuses, Krampen. I think that's, it's, yeah, that's, that's it, Krampen. Kramp- Krampi? No, that's faux Greek. No, it's, it's Krampelin. That would be mm-hmm, for, for the German. Yeah. And watching over it, because there's mobs of, of Krampelin, is St. Nicholas, who kind of makes sure that the Krampelin don't uh, injure themselves or push too hard or something. So it's a very ceremonial sort of staged battle between these two massive Christmas goat devils. And I, I just love that image. I'm pretty like St. Nicholas holding back saying, okay, I think you've done enough damage to that there Krampus sort of thing. <laughs> it is in his rich, sherry-soaked voice. <laughs> One of the stories that Ridnar touched on was Apparently, the wrestling match thing is only in this one kind of center of Krampus culture town. Uh, I can't remember the name right now. Beep. The name of the town is Bad Gastein, Germany. Bad Gastein. G-A-S-T-E-I-N. Bad Gastein. Beep. And so an outside visitor dressed in his Krampus gear came to came to the town to see things. And this other Krampus was kind of, you know, pawing at the ground and challenging him to a wrestling match. And he didn't understand that was culture there. So he kind of flipped him to the ground and everybody thought he was being a very rude Krampus for not getting into the spirit of things. Is this like the Highlander? Like there can be only one? No, no, there can be dozens <laughs> of them. Like each, each Nicholas has a team of like four to seven to eight Krampus, his own little uh, Krampus cluster. So how many Nikolai are there then, if we're doing I, the math? I don't know, but Nicholas is like the least fun. So there's less Nicholas than you want. Like <laughs> most people want to play Krampus because he's big and has a goat horns and things like that. And, and bells. Yeah, and bells all over the uh-huh. place. The bells. Chains, the bells. bells. Yeah. So we were at um, a, a Krampus store online. I do not remotely remember the name. It was in German. And there were demo videos of testing the various bells and each one of them had this like shaggy white butt bouncing up and down with bells <laughs> on his hips for like 30 seconds to 40 seconds it was strangely hypnotic i really want to set that to baby got back you know yeah i've got big bells and i can't deny i can see you it. other crap i bet the uh, how does this <laughs> i can't remember how it goes but I think I think we're on to something here. Beep. Okay, I'm clearly abusing this technology. But two Krampus stores we found and we fall in love with. Krampusshop.at, K-R-A-M-P-U-S-H-O-P.at, has the bouncing Krampus videos in their bell section. But spitzteufeldesign.com, S-P-I-T-Z-T-E-U-F-E-L-S, design.com has a really nice range of very cool bells high design stuff for the big horror factor it's pretty and we are definitely getting at least one bell for our mantle this year neat stuff check out both of those sites no we don't get a krampus shop endorsement from this beep the krampus run krampus loft is its own kind of world but at the same time there's the tradition of the Christmas visit to people's houses. It's not Christmas, it's St. Nicholas's Day, which is... Like December 6th? Yeah, December around, 6th. Around there? Krampus night, December 5th, St. Nicholas Day, December 6th. And that's where St. Nicholas and his Krampus would barge into people's houses and 
declaim in a rich, sherry-soaked voice, are there any good little boys and girls? But, you know, in German. Gibt es gute kleine Jungen und Mädchen? Yes. Gibt es gute kleine Jungen und Mädchen? <laughs> yeah. Y'all are better at this than I Alles am. Alles klar, der Kommissar. <laughs> <laughs> then Krampus would burst in and freak everybody out, and little kids would hide behind the table. And this little pageant kind of unfolded of Krampus darting around and trying to catch people and swat them with his... What do you swap people with? His little switches? Birch. Yeah, his latch. little trees. Switchy, yeah, switchy birch, broom. Birch latch. latch. Mm-hmm. Birch birchland. No, that's not right. His little switches. And then St. Nicholas would kind of order him back. And there'd be this tense moment each time of like, well, maybe he won't get him this time. But, you know, you know, good and order and God always wins out. I know. I know. It's sad. And the cops would back off and the good little boys and girls or the good enough ones would get their candies and probably not get coal and the party would move on. But this door-to-door thing became also a part of the Krampus culture. In America, we just have one Santa that delivers coals to bad little boys and girls. And then you get kind of into the problem of monotheistic versus dualistic theology because God can't be both good and bad at the same time. I think you need that dualistic Krampus as part of the story so that the church can kind of wash its hands of slapping children with switches. And I really don't like where the sentence is going. <laughs> I have to say this goes back to my theory that religion is just a way of outsourcing responsibility. Because again, you have somebody to do the dirty work of punishment. And Stan always gets to keep his hands clean. It's like a mafioso guy, you know, like. He does have white gloves. Like you have to take care yeah. of those. Uh huh. And I mean, you know, he's the, he's Tony Soprano essentially. <laughs> Kiss my reindeer. No way. That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> sure, it does. I mean, why not? There's a series of these Yule adjacent door to door traditions. My favorite is the Wassel Carol and all of mm. that kind of door to door drinking. Mm-hmm. brandy mm-hmm. and singing at people until they give you more food to go away and it's all in good fun but there's a bunch of this sort of stuff and some of it has this weird double-edged horror element to it too uh the hunting of the wren you know that that myth uh or that story where uh, little boys would go and kill a small bird and parade it around and impress everybody with it for pennies what like wren wren the bird with a w yes yes the wren is the king of birds because of its own legend which I could bore you with later. Okay, so he goes up to, he, he and an eagle challenge each other to a flying contest and the wren hides under the eagle to get all the way up. That's the story. And so he's the king of birds. And in a Fraser-esque orgy of killing the king, small boys would go and find a wren in the winter, I think in Martinmas night on the 12th or 14th or so, kill it and carry it around the neighborhood. And there would be kind of weird wren songs and they would get pennies. Uh, again, kind of part of this tradition, there's the knocking nights, going door to door and just banging on doors and messing people's heads. And in Germany and surrounding areas, Austria, there's a lot of these door to door stories, too. Uh, and Krampus is one of the bigger ones. Do you know uh, about the Welsh one? Oh, the really creepy one? Yeah, the, I think we're thinking of the same one. So it's I, I know that I'm going to mispronounce this because I, I don't have the Welsh, but... The Mari Lu, Mari Lud Mari. It's pronounced Chumley. <laughs> <laughs> the 
the, the Welsh Chumley tradition of a, it involves a hobby horse with a actual horse skull. There's a person under a, a cloth carrying the hobby horse around. And again, this hobby horse goes door to door and demands that you sing a song, oh, right? God. What do you sing when the skull horse comes? Well, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think, you know, there are different occasions call for different different songs. I think there's the, there's the, the moments of death metal and there's, you know, some some nice just like some some Keisha or, or some kind of pop and some the yacht rock when, you know, like things are kind of like the party's going the right way. I know that there's singing involved. There's probably also drinking. I'm not sure if like the horse won't go away until you sing and give it booze. I mean, I think typically there's always like some sort of exchange, right? And there's usually liquor involved, some fireball, I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. the fireball. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, yeah, yeah. So so <laughs> if you you and if you invite the horse in. It runs around and neighs and tries to bite people, Beautiful. which is very also very exciting. We really miss out on the putting the fear of death and terror into children. Like our kids in America don't right? have enough nightmares or at least not enough nightmare fuel. Exactly. And I feel like especially at Christmas, I mean, <laughs> you know, like it's the season. It's it's a it's it's death, right? Like this is the time of year for death. And it's a very transitional time. Again, that bridge between the old year and the new when the sun has temporarily gone out and it's freezing cold and you don't really know if your food will survive. There's a lot of these myths that just kind of pop up in this transitional time and a lot of strange revelry like the Feast of Fools and the Feast of Holy Innocents and so many winter shaggy monster things. One of my other favorites, and we will get to hell, I promise, is the... Um, <laughs> I will. <laughs> Is, uh, Aren't we already there? Is the wolf? It's, it's like Wolf Run, Wolfenrossen. Oh, I'm butchering that. Wolfenut. No, Wolf. <laughs> it's the tradition of letting out the wolves, um, or Wolfeslossen. Oh, this, not not everyone who loves dogs is a good person. Holiday? No, no, very different. Uh, this is actually in November, uh, Saint Martin's Day. Apparently, the tradition was that the sheep herders, the sheep herders, the shepherds. <laughs> the mission was that the shepherds and herdsmen would return when they don't need to do their job anymore because we've dealt with all the animals. Nah. So the wolves are free to roam at night now because the shepherds aren't watching them anymore. And so the herdsmen would return to town wearing the bells that their animals were wearing. In like older versions of this tradition, they would kind of maybe play out like animals and wear the bells and chase each other around and go door to door begging for food and drink, predictably. Mm -hmm. In the more recent like 20th century revival, you can see YouTube videos if you look up Wolfaslassen, W-O-L-F-A-U-S-L-A-S-S-E-N. And instead of like bringing the, the sheep bells in, these like long lines of guys will come in wearing wearing these huge, like three foot long bells between their legs on, on their fronts. Hmm. And they'll kind of walk in with this kind of heavy side to side motion because huge bell. Uh, and then do this kind of bring the bells with pelvic thrusts number. Um, it's mm -hmm. really very kind of it ends up looking very primal. Um, I'll, I'll go there. <laughs> and, 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 and it's not really explicitly sexual, but there's definitely overtones. Uh, but no wolf costumes, unfortunately. I feel they missed, what? A, they missed a trick See, there. Well, that, the, the wolves are out wild and free. Why would they be in town? Oh, right. This is about the shepherds. It's always about the shepherds. 
So the the house Krampus visit, which is its own tradition that it doesn't really get play up in America so much because we like the Krampus run idea. Mm-hmm. That one has elements that fall back to the medieval mystery plays that we talked about uh, a couple of episodes ago, where in these morality plays, a St. Nicholas morality play tradition developed in Germany, where the first part of the of this winter play would have St. Nicholas come and tell the crowds, you know, Hello, good little boys and people. Joy of religion, joy of the church, uh, all good things, that sort of story. And then there would be an allegorical everyman thing where you kind of get slightly surreal religion mixed with heavy-handed moral messages and allegory. I used allegory twice in the same paragraph. And then it would phase into a rant from Satan or Lucifer who would have his own kind of sermonizing thing and he would berate the crowd and tell them, you know, all dark things come from human sin and failure. And he would lash out and he was always chained up. I was really interested in kind of the gimpy Satan story of this Satan bound by the church, bound by God, bound bound in chains, this helpless Satan. And this is an aspect of that or another kind of version of that. But Satan would be chained up and he would lash out and reach for his audience and be just pulled back at the last moment by his handler devils sort of thing. And then someone, probably Christopher or uh, another moralizing voice, would pull him back entirely and that would be the end of his story. But that devil was not wearing red tights. That devil was wearing shaggy robes. He was very animalistic. And so this kind of cynics controlling old guy with beard slash shaggy scary Satan kind of rolls into the Krampus tradition 300 years later. Hmm. That's interesting. Like, I, I don't know. It's a... Uh... A of all, why is it, you know, when, when the good guy's talking, it's a, it's a sermon, but when Satan's talking, it's a rant, well, you know. Um, <laughs> Mr. Mr. <laughs> Author and plagiarizing heavily, Al Ridnor described it as being Lucifer's sermon. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So some even handedness there. All right. All right. What if it weren't a rant? It was a monologue. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Villains always monologue. It's true. They're not good listeners. They don't like an exchange. They don't really mm. want the free, the, the, you know, get back, give and, give and take of a conversation. I know there wasn't much give and take in Milton. <laughs> but I wonder about that, too. Like the whole, I mean, there's the titillation aspect of that. Like, yeah, will he, can we rein him back in time? Like, it's all about spectacle there. Yeah. Well, it'd be a boring story if he always immediately sat down when the, the wise man told him to. There's no tension. Mm-hmm. That's true. But it's also, I don't know, there's kind of, again, sort of that free will thing going on, too. Like, you can only take free will so far before it has to be reined in. So why Krampus? Like, why are we all so interested in Krampus? Because we all clearly have a lot to say about it. Um, I kind of like goat men. <laughs> But who also, doesn't? Yeah, but uh, but uh, the dark side of holidays is really fascinating. I think it's much more fascinating than the bright side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Scrooge really lost a few uh, cool points when he turned good. I'm telling you, Scrooge, the Grinch, the only guy that stayed true to his form was Oscar the Grouch. That dude never gave up. <laughs> what about a? <laughs> I was also thinking about, um, and this is to, this is not not why I like Krampus, but the year without a Santa Claus, the Rankin and Bass 
little Christmas special. Do you guys know that one with mm-hmm. the heat miser? And, yeah. Um, but do you know the life and times of Santa Claus? Oh, yeah. 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 Which, like, I feel that there's, you yeah, know. A lot of weirdly displaced paganism in that one. Exactly. It, it, that was, exactly. That was by Bomb, the, the Oz guy, ultimately. Oh. Who really played fast and loose with mythologies. Wow. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about that. Well, I'll say I am interested in Krampus also because of the, the, the dark side of holidays as I am not a fan of Christmas. And I was super excited to find a way to make it less about less a holiday of making people feel bad about things that they don't have because everybody can get behind Krampus. In his sack. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> So one thing I really, really enjoy and coming from like a linguistics background is, you know, words and concepts across different countries and languages and the whole companions of St. Nick. And I I walked into this thing, you know, I didn't know who Krampus was, but I knew who, you know, Jort Pete was. The 12 guys of Christmas. Yeah, the 12 guys of Christmas. 13, not counting lung smacker. Flapper. Lung flapper. Lung, lung smack. <laughs> it's like so, lung smacker's my father. I, I have friends who talked about, you know, Zwart Piet in, in uh, Dutchland, where they speak Dutch. Holland, the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And in German, there's, you know, next Ruprecht. And there's, and I, I just kind of looked these things up. I was like, the scary hairy goat guy, Necht Ruprecht, Krampus. You've got, like, uh, you said, uh, you said, Bellsnickel, but there's also Bell's Niggle, Pelsnickel, and Pelsbach. And it's just like, what? There's all these random schmutzlies and rumpiclas and Bell's Bobs and Hans Muffs and Drops and Bullsbugs. So Chris, Chris Kringle is a corruption of Bellsnickel. Well, it also means Christ, Christ child, basically, but it's used interchangeably with Bellsnickel. They both have the nickel cognate in them. But Chris Kringle's name came when the Santa Claus myth bounced out of Germany and off of Pennsylvania and returned to Germany. Oh, Interesting. So that's why Interesting. you mentioned Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the Pennsylvania Dutch and the, the Krampus there are fierce. In Scandinavia, the Finnish have Yolapuki and the Swedes have Yolbakken. And that whole peck, pock, bock, buck, what do you call a young male goat? He's a buck, right? And there's this great goat imagery for these winter festivals because I have to say that I am also I like the fact that Krampus is devil like hmm. like I enjoy the fact that he like I enjoy the goat the goatishness I enjoy the the demonic aspect like aesthetically I find Krampus pleasing and I like all of the permutations of him when he becomes more of the kind of dapper gentleman Krampus and even the strangely cuckolded Krampus of the later Krampus Carton. Not to bring the attention of upper management down on us, but Satan was originally an angel of God. Not not in the Miltonian fallen sense, but he was, while acting like a jerk, doing God's work. Uh, he was the tempter and the adversary. And that has some of the same dualism that you get with Krampus now. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's an employee of the month, like story to be told about Satan. He was employee of the month for a really long time. And then 
you know, just the whims of management <laughs> just suddenly he was out of favor because what has he done? You know, like he just couldn't keep it going. <clears throat> I think when monotheism took over, we needed a foil. Speaking of monotheism, this is only slightly, but did you know that Krampus was also prohibited in the 30s? Oh, yeah. The, in the 30s? Or? The, yeah, 32 mm-hmm. is the, the father party. The uh, Yep. Mm-hmm. Go on, tell us all. I only know just a tiny bit. I don't really know why, but it was the the father party and the Christian social party. And they would distribute pamphlets that said Krampus is an evil man, almost like the chick tracks. I'm, spo- I'm supposing I really want to find one of these pamphlets, but I don't really know exactly what the beef was. I think I think it was that we well, they were celebrating this evil goat man and having fun and like, hey, look, guys, you're you're embracing this way too much. This guy's bad. Let's be good little boys and girls and not be, you know, friends with the goat man. Was it also like a Protestant Catholic thing? 30s Bavaria. I don't know the social scene. Mm-hmm. So maybe. I'm curious about that. You mean like Protestant v. Catholic or Protestant slash Catholic? Protestant v. Catholic. Oh, totes. Yeah. Okay. Like that, that just reeks of shut that down. So like, yeah, the Krampus is too Catholic. I think he's just too interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like if it distracts from Chris, if it distracts from Christmas and Jesus, then it's probably not a good thing in the eyes of the church. And the whole like pan equals devil, Krampus equals devil, devil equals bad angle kind of maybe makes someone want to not glorify something that to them resembles Satan. I think there's like solid reasons you might want to like downplay this labiscus, 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 this labiscus. Lascivious. Lascivious? I think there's solid reasons to downplay this lascivious naked goat thing with a long pointy tail and goat horns and a seven foot long Gene Simmons tongue that lashes uh, bad little girls. No, I can see reasons to downplay that story, um, if nothing else, so that more 18, 24 year old guys are sober on December 6th. Hmm. Hmm. Ah, I just looked up the um, Fatherland Front and it was Catholic. Hmm. So they were opposed to Krampus. That makes sense. So going a little further back into the Krampus mythology, we get to the Perchton. I think that's the word, the Perchton. And one of the words. One of the words. Yeah. Well, there's like a. <laughs> it's a word. The Perchtlin, I guess we'll just kind of follow the myth back as far as we can. The Perchtlin are this cluster of shaggy, strange Christmas, not all monsters, but mostly monsters. Is this where Santa's boys come from? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The little, the Yule lads. I don't, no. I don't actually know them very well. When I looked at Yule Lads, I found the Icelandic Yule Lads, and there's, there's what, 13 of them? That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, there's, mm-hmm. there's Stubby, Spoon Licker, Pot Scraper, <laughs> Bowl Licker, uh, Candle Stealer, Meat Hook, Doorway Sniffer, and... Trevor. S- Trevor, yeah. <laughs> Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> Are these the, the Yule Boys? They sound like them. It's kind of, it's just like Christmas dwarf sort of things, gremlins. Yeah, and each one kind of does a different thing. Where like pot scraper steals leftovers, candle stealer steals candles from children in the dark and leaving them all alone without candles. Goalie Gawk is one of them. 
Gully Gawk. Like, what a great stubby. name. Stubby. <laughs> Listen, let's not talk about Stubby. He tried his hardest. <laughs> Poor Stubby. Yeah, they're the they're Grilla. They're, I'm sorry, I had it wrong. They're the kid. They're the sons of Grilla. And she eats, she eats kids who oh, don't another, behave. Oh, another. So there's a, there's a word for this, and I was so happy to find this word. It's... Um, Trevor. No, it's not. <laughs> Kinder, Kinder Shrek figure. Uh, Kinder Shrek, like Kinder Kinder Shrek figure, child terror figure. Yeah. Ooh. Um, there is no Wikipedia article for this in America or in the English Wikipedia, but there's one in the German one. There are dozens of these monstrous things. Um, Kinder these, Shrek, the Sandman, all of these Christmas things we discussed, the Scissors guy, or the guy with scissors for hands. Edward. Edward Scissors hands. No. No, uh, sh- uh, no he's just. Just the scissor hand name? guy. Uh, it's not Schwarzpeter because that's the other. That's the other Dutch dude. Well, Schwarzpeter had his thumbs cut off by that's... the scissors guy. I think he's just a scissors man or a scissors hands man or something. <laughs> I'm sure if you translate it literally, that's exactly what it, it, is. it, it is. But anyway, there's a big category of all of these. Let's scare the hell out of the children figures, and it's a fun, lively mythology. In Europe, we've got a lot of scary Halloween, and, you know, you're right. American Halloween doesn't seem to focus on terrorizing the children. But on the plus side, we are teaching that it's okay to wear fishnets. Yes. We didn't even talk about, like, how the Dutch Krampus is a moor, and he puts you in a sack. He doesn't beat you. He ships you to the Barbary Coast to be a slave. (laughs) Right. Because that was a thing like the Barbary piracy. <sighs> yep. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, listen, Krampus is going to steal you and he's going to send you to Africa and you're going to have to be a slave. It's so literal and niche. Also, there's a picture of two Zwartzpita and I'll try and link it in the thing. But it's two women in blackface. And it's, it's on the Wikipedia article. Like if you type Zwartzpita into the into the thing. And you're like, oh, this is like, I, it's awkwardly attractive. Like, wow. Like, mm, those cheekbones. It's wildly problematic. There, I think there's been a lot of backlash. Oh, to- this year, specifically this year, um, the government of Dutchlandia has been all like, Ooh, okay, so maybe, maybe Zoid Pete isn't actually Moorish. Maybe he's just a chimney sweep and these are soot marks on his cheeks. Like, that's the official governmental, it's like, okay, guys. He's a Christmas. We're not going to ruin Christmas. He's just got like two max, like government mandated two max sit marks on your cheeks. <laughs> so another one of Santa's companions is Stuart Pete, Black Pete in Holland, the Netherlands. And typically, you know, he's shown as like dressed as a Moorish, like ruffled kind of guy uh, with blackface. Well, at least he's well dressed. Oh, dude, ruffled collars. Mm, every day. Since since we're we're briefly touching on these Icelandic Yule lads, one of the other scary creatures that walks around Iceland during Yule tide is the Yule cat. Yes. Yes. And it's okay. So the, you yes. know, spoon liquor licks spoons and pot stealer steals pots, but the Yule cat walks around and he's this giant slathering slobbering fierce beast of a cat, probably a tabby, and he eats children who haven't had new clothes given to them this year. Well, that's horrible. It's not their fault. Yeah, and it's like, wait, is this, are you supposed to terrorize the children or the parents? 
Well, and isn't there like, you know, this is like the anti-thrift sort of message because, you know, we always had used clothes, I, I guess, even by the old cat. And well, it could also be socially responsible. It's like me, if I were a parent and I was like, OK, you know what? It's been eight years. I don't think I'm set out for this. Jimmy, no pants for you this year. <laughs> Problem solved. I guess if you're naked, you don't get eaten by the old cat. It doesn't say that. Well, oh. if you're naked in Iceland, I mean. Okay, well, there, you've got your own problems at that yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Beep. Okay, so I went to follow up on this. Apparently, the idea of new clothing was tied to, well, you've done your chores and this is a reward. So it's not so much that the old cat would eat you because you hadn't gotten new pants. It was that the old cat would eat you if you hadn't gotten the reward for doing your chores. So this is another sort of social responsibility story. That's all. Thank you. Beep. So and there's there's others. There's a Christmas bear that presumably eats children and an ogre that eats children. And a lot of these things, they're all uh, there's some there's some nice ones, too. There's like a guy that's made of straw who seems fairly ambivalent and uh, the basket carrier. These kind of get turned into Santa's gang of friends in later stories. But categorically, all these like weird double edged creatures are called Perchton. And that word is derived from Perchta, who is a sort of winter goddess slash crone. And she can be a nasty piece of work. But again, a very double-edged mythology, because sometimes she's this, her name might mean light and brightness. And beauty. Yeah. Or she might just be a horrible crone that finds children that haven't done their chores and cuts them open and stuffs their belly with sawdust and floor leavings. Now... I know you're from Texas, but I want you to understand the concept of winter as a duality, right? I am lost on this concept entirely. What is winter? Yeah, exactly. But like, imagine like waking up in your Appalachian cottage and looking out at these snow covered fields and snow covered trees. And you're like, oh God, this is so pretty. And then you walk outside with your hat on and you die. Yes. Right. So winter is both beautiful and terrible. And and I think that there's a lot to have these, these, Flip side characters that are both, they're both positive and negative. They give gifts, they they kill you utterly. This duality is kind of necessary. And this entire period of the year is very dualistic. It's light and darkness, darkness and light, etc., etc., etc. All these things collectively are called Perchlin. And the goddess herself, Perchta, is kind of this winter crone slash bright goddess, depending entirely on what day it is, I guess. Can we take a moment to talk about Lung Flapper? Uh, is, he, is he a Yule, Yule man? so only the well-behaved yule lads are allowed near children but they have many brothers and sisters who are more aggressive including lungness letter lung flapper he walks around with wet sheep lungs and hits those who get in his way so between him and the christmas cat you pretty much have like an 80s movie about high school (laughs) because there's like the mean guy slapping you with sheep lungs and then the girl who's trying to kill you because you don't have new clothes. Victoria, what high school did you go to? <laughs> <laughs> you, you say he's the, like, the, the not well-behaved one. But, I mean, have you ever been hit with a sheep's lung? It might be nice. It, I guess. Depends on, the, depends on the freshness of the <laughs> lung. Well, we have next week's entertainment down, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. Nose nibbling and sheep lung slapping. <laughs> I also have to point out that Candle Stealer was recently voted the favorite of all the Yule Lads. By, by Survey Monkey? 
<laughs> they don't really, they're not very rigorous on this website as to their citations, but also there is a song about the Christmas cat by Bjork. Oh, oh neat. We should, so. we should link that for sure. I'll have seven mm-hmm. seconds of it play in just a moment. I, I feel like I've got I've got a flashlight on my cell phone. I don't need candles anymore. Candle stealer and I are okay, you know. <laughs> I, I was almost sure that candle stealer would like gouge out your eyes instead of taking your candles or something like that. He sounds that horrible. Yeah, you know that's a pretty significant thing to be stealing. So we can roll Perchta back just a little bit, and she seems to be, and I think we're getting a little bit a little bit tenuous. But many wise scholars on Wikipedia say that Birchta is related to uh, Holda, who is the in the kind of goddess class of Frigga, Freya, German goddesses. And where stories of the German goddess Holda kind of drop off, uh, one of the Grimm brothers say that that's immediately where stories of Birchta pick up. So they're kind of interchangeable winter goddesses. And the Grimm suggests that she's related to Berthold, the German god that led the wild hunt. And that Perchta, Berthold, it's, it, the P and the B are the same basic letter. So those names are just kind of female, male versions of each other. And this brings us to kind of a, a major hell tie-in because the wild hunt tends to be the souls of the dead traveling the night and chasing down people. Sometimes it's led by the devil himself in some stories. We, we've got to have an episode on the wild hunt down the road. Oh, yeah. But this version of the dead is more the fey dead like the other world dead. It's not the dead that are rotting in the grave, but it's lost souls. And Perchta herself travels with an entourage of unbaptized children. We've got to have an unbaptized children episode down the road. <laughs> oh my God. Oh yeah. So there is this kind of strong tie with the underworld and Perchta and by kind of extended process, uh, Krampus, who isn't related to Perchta, but is kind of an evolution of her idea. Can I tell you something weird that I I just learned? Sure. <laughs> so in the movie Krampus, which is a canonical text as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> as is the, the, the comic book Krampus. Oh, um, he's a hottie. No, I want to see the cover again. He's sort of like Hellboy in this. Yeah, just leave that leave that up there for me for a bit. Okay. <laughs> do, do you want me to just kind of do a little split screen? We could we could scan it for you. <laughs> okay. But did you know, so if you recall the toys and the weird angel thing yeah. that attacks, did you know that's supposed to be Perchta? Perchta? Well, is it? Because there's also the child angel is another kind of Perchland story. This, according to the Krampus wiki, she is, it's supposed to be that little weird uh, angel is, <laughs> she doesn't display much of a personality in her few moments of screen time, but she de- does seem to be demonic and bloodthirsty. Um, but that's supposed to be a representation of Perchta and bring, to bring Perchta into hmm. that movie. Well, sometimes in, in both the Krampusloff runs in the modern world, they kind of incorporate the entire Krampusloff culture is basically 18 to 24 year old guys. That That's just a fact. <laughs> so part of the story of the companions of St. Nicholas was there was, it was originally a Christ child, but I think it became an angel character as well, which is maybe a way to get sisters into the show. 
So there was this kind of angel character that would travel with St. Nicholas and sometimes with Krampus. So that's also part of it. But Perchta has the idea of being a glorious shining thing as well. So that could be Perchta. Yeah, I thought they were just a little lazy. Like, I, I think my pro- my problem with that movie is it needed more Krampus. Well, you can't show the villain all at once. It's mm, true. And there's like true. three direct-to-video sequels. That is true. And I haven't yet watched those. Maybe you should so. just keep the beauty in your head. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. One thing that Rittenard talks about in his, his Krampus book is that people that don't live this mythology, that aren't there on the front rows, um, they worry about like whether Perchta is Krampus or whether Krampus is Perchta and kind of try and find differences between them. But he also says that the same mask could be used by Perchta players and Krampus players, and it's contextual. And if you're worried about which one is which, you're adding a layer of artificiality that isn't part of the real story because it doesn't matter. It's just kind of at the moment, which is which. What's what story you're telling at that point in time? Mm-hmm. So Krampus is gender neutral. No, Krampus is most emphatically not gender neutral. <laughs> Perchta is kind of ambiguous. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Or at least she's kind of shaggy. She, I guess she's always a she, but she's kind of a shaggy, horrible thing. Well, I mean, it, like if you have more than one Krampus, you know, there's there's flocks of Krampus herds, hordes, r- you know, running around the countryside running. They've got to procreate. Surely there's girl Krampus is out there. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> I don't think so. So you're just saying we've got one generation of Krampus. We've had our run. That's it. No more. Well, the multiplicity of Krampus Kromplin that you get in a Krampus loft is not necessarily part of the story of the Krampus character. It's just that a lot of people want to play him and they've got their costumes. So there's only one night you can really do this. So they're not like Smurfs where I mean, they're just like Smurfs, <laughs> <laughs> just like Smurfs. But I know. Yeah. On the blue moon, <laughs> Krampus is born. I always kind of felt like, well, I mean, isn't there some story of Nicholas actually creating Krampus, kind of like an orc, like he made him? I don't know. Let's research that. In my readings of Nicholas, I never found that. But I, yeah. But also there's like, he's supposed to be the son of hell, too. That's an interesting one. And it's tenuous hell connection for Mr. Krampus. And probably a a huge stretch. Mm -hmm. I I think that we saying that's not real mythology is kind of an insane statement. Ah, so yes, it says it has been popularized on the internet. It seems like it's a creation of an American fantasy writer. I want that to be the case. And it's not quite either. Mm. But Mm. so, so here's, as was said earlier, the movie is officially Canon. We -hmm. are building our own mythos. If we just made this happen, like in 20 years, as we're looking back, it's like, oh, well, here's the start where this happened. It's official. Yeah. Again, I think it's really hard to say that's not real myth. I think that's kind of a crazy statement in some ways. Because um, myth is always a myth. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's a mishmash of story elements kind of colliding together. So I think this may be kind of tied to the cult of James Frazier, people smoking too much Golden Bough. Mm. where you try and make these meta-myths that span millennia 
because it's satisfying to have that story. I think that probably Krampus's story really begins when he becomes a character in like the 1600s. And before then, there's the Perchland, which he is one of. And before then, there's Perchta, who is a weird double-edged crone character that cuts open children. But Perchta is her name, her goddess name is Holda. And there is, and she is an underworld goddess. I mean, she is a fey underworld goddess. She's not the goddess of corpses. She's the goddess of death and rebirth, which is very Yule, very epiphany. Hell, H-E-L, is the goddess of rotting decay underworld. And she is a kind of an ugly monster with, I think, rotting corpse legs and half serpent body. Hmm. And Hell is Loki's daughter. This is like in the genealogies. I think Snorri Sturluson would give this two thumbs up. <laughs> Good old Snorri. Yeah, I like Snorri. I like the name Snorri. Snorri for me is kind of like Hesiod's theogony in Greek mythology. He kind of assembles everything together and maybe it's not entirely true, but it's close enough. I, I don't think that he would say this, but there is enough like muddling of Hell and Holda that there's probably some blending of their identities a little bit. Definitely in like net paganism, there's a lot of that because they kind of, there's like this assumption that all the age gods are the same thing, that one underworld god carries the mythology of the under other. So I think it'd be impossible to say that there wasn't some thread connecting Krampus to the goddess Hell and therefore Loki, who has some shape-shifting elements and probably slept with Gary and Brecky at some point in time. Hmm. Uh, those are Odin's goats. Beep. Okay, I got this one wrong. Gary and Frecky are Odin's wolves, and Tanning Grissner and Tanning Jost are Odin's goats. May I be forgiven? Beep. Oh, everybody's yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean he. Had... Everybody's doing it with goats. Oh well. Mm, mm. In fairness, Loki did give birth to an eight-legged horse. <laughs> what? And Fenris Wolf. Sauce, please. Sauce, please? When yeah. You source? I'm going to need some sauce on that. I'm confused. What are you, what are you saying, actually? Yeah, sor- sor- source, please. I like sauce. That's what the kids say on the forums. Like, if you... I want the, the sauce. I'm going to want please. the sauce. Yeah, sauce, please. The kids with the sauce. And so, that's... Loki, Wolf's father, did give birth to Fenris Wolf. Okay, I'm going to have a look this up, but I am right. Oh, I never said you were wrong. I just want, like, citations. The sauce. I want the sauce. Okay, so the source is that Sleipnir is the eight-legged horse that belongs to Odin. Very fast-moving steed, despite having eight legs. Uh, Loki turned himself into a female horse for whatever the hell reason. Yeah, like you do. Mm -hmm. And gave birth to Sleipnir fairly shortly thereafter. So, yeah, Loki has, like, three animalistic children. Didn't it just seem like a dare, like somebody dared Loki to do that, you know? Norse mythology is a very heavy drinking mythology, and (laughs) I'm sure it's a good story. Oh, so Googling the myth, there was some sort of bet between the gods about whether or not uh, some guy would finish building a temple or a citadel of some sort. So Loki distracted the fellow's stallion that was doing a lot of the load carrying and such he distracted him in the most convenient way possible i suppose because it tells a good story see it all comes down to like the, all the gods just being bored and like daring each other placing bets and bored and horny bored and, <laughs> that's right bored, I mean, all mythology is the, is the product of boredom and horniness 
but but I don't think you. I mean, this is kind of like mythological connect the dots rather than like something that would be described in one of the legends. I don't think anywhere you'll find Loki's daughter Hel gave birth to Krampus written in Futhark runes on the side of an old chapel or anything like that. Oh, I'm but, I'm well. Now that I know Futhark, I've actually been carving around Austin. But uh, okay. I was going to say, like, well, now we can go do that. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So it's valid. Myth. Once the pandemic's over. But I did, I did read Brahm's novel. Uh, Brahm is a uh, okay Dungeons and Dragons tie-in. Brahm got a lot of credit with the role-playing game community when he really was the aesthetic background for the Dark Sun campaign setting in Dungeons and Dragons. Lots of tattered leather and things like that in that setting. He's a gothy fantasy artist, and he's done some novels, including Krampus the Yule Lord. And that one does, it, it does confabulate a fair bit about uh, Krampus's origins as a pre-Christian fertility sort of thing, because it tells a good story. But I don't think that it's really necessarily borne out in the Norse mythology. It did get borne out in National Geographic, so that maybe has a lot more popularity and credence than it might normally. I do did really enjoy that book, though. It was a lot of fun. That sounds fun. Yeah. There's like one really good scene where... Okay, so the basic story of the book is there's a washed up singer, musician, who's kind of giving up on life. He falls into small town police politics and an epic duel between Santa Claus and uh, Krampus as to who's the superior Yule Lord. Mm -hmm. um, there's one really great scene where the musician, Jesse's his name, has to reach into Santa's magic toy bag and touches the souls of the dead inside of there. So kind of linking together this perched a myth. And, what do uh, they feel like? Dry and crisp, crunchy in places with the sensation of like something rotting underneath a marsh. It was a good moment. Mm. Also, Krampus's catchphrase in that book over and over again, he says this is, let us go and be terrible. <laughs> I, I liked it a lot. I have a meta question. Okay. So if childhood, as we know it, was not really invented until the Victorian era, potentially, uh -huh. why did kids need to behave? Why did we have all of these stories to make kids behave? Hmm. Well, just because they're young and should be used for child labor doesn't mean they shouldn't learn their place. Also, a lot of these things support the cultural, support the cultures. Um, a lot of these things propagate the stories of the culture itself, like burial myths in Greece support the civilization of Greece as a concept. Maybe. Okay. No, it just hit me like, why, why does it matter that kids behave? I think that the idea of childhood being a valuable time that should be treasured is late Victorian. I know that mm -hmm. uh, Frank Baum is considered like the first child author, and he was um, in some in some circles, and he's like 1895 America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the idea of childhood as being something to treasure is a recent concept. Uh, the idea of children being something that has to be forced into a shape and, <laughs> and put to the labor force is a little older than that. Uh, well, I mean, you could also consider that childhood you know, the childhood, adolescence, post-adolescence, if even, even if you are useless, then you're in the work. It's like six-year-olds really aren't that useful in the fields, you know, in the factory, anywhere. Like you have to be 
10 before you're really useful. But six-year-olds can still, you know, you're old enough to know better, so you might as well put them in their place, right? Mm -hmm. So if childhood may be a new concept, but pre-utility, and I'm just, I'm making this up as I go along, but it's like... Childhood as a protected class is kind kind of recent. Okay. Yeah, I guess, I mean, they're still like using up resources, so you want them to not be, you know... Naughty. Yeah. Naughty. Right, right. They require energy and attention and resources and can really muck things up. And apparently new clothes once a year. Like, man. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, Heathers? There's another. I, I, a lot of things just didn't quite translate perfectly. But um, the German version of Spare the Rod, Spoil the Child is Sugar Bread and Whip. <laughs> Zuckerbrot Wait, and Brot. Say that again. <laughs> sugar bread and whip. Zuckerbrot and and. Oh, sugar bread. Sugar, sugar bread. bread. Okay. Yes. Zuckerbrot and okay. Peicht. It's like peicht. Peicht. Oh, peicht. peicht. Okay. How would you say that? So that's like a carrot and stick, basically. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Oh, fun fun Krampus word again from from Ridnar. The more recent Krampuses. I mean, they're pretty like drunk and rowdy, and you do have this kind of devilish Krampus that emerges from the Krampish Carton world. And there has been some drive to sanitize the Krampus story, Krampus story, mm-hmm. so probably outside of uh, the Krampus runs in Austria, but you can get like mall Krampuses <laughs> <laughs> or, or Krampuses that are approachable to kids. Although kids like being scared too, but oh, um, yeah. the slightly less bloody Krampus uh, probably steering away from the like more modern style of, Hollywood end mask design and more traditional looking, but less fearsome, less apt to actually hit kids with switches, is the uh, Kuschel Krampus or the Cuddle Krampus. Oh, I like that a lot. Cuddle Krampus. But I can't find any images online. Cuddle is it Cuddle spelled with a K? Uh, in German, K U at K U T S C H E L Krampus. Try turning Safe Search off. Yeah, well, I looked in for affinity for Cuddle Krampus, and then I looked away. Hmm. <laughs> so do all of us have some level of, of German? I finished the Duolingo course. Ooh. <laughs> I've taken a lot of German and I've forgotten a lot of German. And I even have taken German grammar. Oh, nice. Have you, have you been I, to the German school on 10th Street? No. It's no. super cool. That would be maybe that's a, a, a good little little field trip at some point. But tying together the entire krampus Perchtlin myth cycle, um, we have Perchta, who is the goddess that kind of carries the wild hunt and travels with the souls of the dead. Her legend kind of dissolves into hair and horror, and then this, the Krampus kind of surfaces from that 200 years later. But of, of this story, Redner says, recognizing the old Perched behind the Krampus mask, reframes the character not as a domesticated servant of the church, but as a member of Perched's supernatural train and as such more dreadful and capricious. I really liked that quote. Um, that just mm-hmm. captures so much that Krampus is almost St. Nicholas's pet in one mode, but in another mode, he's this dangerous natural force. And he's both at the same time. That dualistic dichotomy is there. And I just love that quote. I know this is going to be kind of a crazy idea but (laughs) based on another canonical text 
the comic book. Um, Who's the author of that comic book? It is Brian Jones, Joins, not Brian Jones. It's Brian Joins, J-O-I-N-E-S. And it's published by Image, I think. All good comics come from Image. This mm-hmm. is Krampus from Image. He's imprisoned by the Council of Santas. And I won't, <laughs> no, spoiler alert, but, uh, you know, he also kind of is sort of a golem figure in this in a weird way. Like he's sort of sent out when they need when they need him to go out and. Krampus, you are called. Go forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. Which I kind of like, oh, I hadn't really thought of him as, as sort of this, like, could be Frankenstein's monster, could be the golem, like, being called to go do. Well, he is kind of acts as Nicholas's hands in the mm-hmm. world of naughty children. Because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. like we said, Nicholas can't get his little fuzzy white gloves dirty. Exactly. It's the, the it's, he's, he's Tony Soprano. As, mm-hmm. as you were saying this. I, I kind of had this thought, I had this question just pop into my mind where Krampus is old. You know, we've got St. Nick. He pops up in what, 400? Well, okay. So the Archbishop of Myra pops up in 400. Okay. The saint stuff accretes over centuries. Okay. Old people are old and we've had scary, hairy goat creatures scaring the children for millennia. I guess my question is, is St. Nick a foil for Krampus? Or is Krampus a foil for St. Nick? I don't think there's an or here. They're flip sides of the same coin. St. Nicholas and Krampus have the same duality that Perchta does. It's just that it's in two people. St. Nicholas gives the gifts and um, Krampus, who is more popular, gives the coal and lashes the girls with his switches. But Are you thinking of this as kind of a Beowulf versus Grendel thing where, you know, you have the canonical story told from the hero's perspective, but then there's the retelling of the story from Grendel's perspective. Maybe. Like that that's a good point too. It's like was was one invented to calm the other down? Oh, oh I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I hmm. I mean the the Nicholas and the Devil myth suggests that they kind of co evolved. Perched a had companions. She traveled with other people. There's the, the like multi element is always there. So I don't think there's a chicken and egg egg thing here. I think the two kind of evolved to tell each other's stories like night and day are not necessarily separate things. They are one unity that merges from one to the other. The winter that brings warmth and family togetherness is the same winter that kills. These are not separate things necessarily. It's the same story. Has there ever been a telling of St. Nicholas and Krampus as kind of a, what's the movie Midnight Run, where the uh, the cop is handcuffed to the guy he has to bring in for witness protection and he keeps, you know, like there's just all this, you know, kind of kind of crazy kooky um, shenanigans Every- as they have to cross the country. Dealing, or like planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, and it was Midnight Run where there, there was like, by the end, they were friends. And like, he would do yes. something like, he would he would cover up the handcuffs so the guy could flirt with the with the girl. And then by the end, you know, they move off and it's like, hey, you know, thank you for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. every 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 December 5th, St. Nicholas is chained to Krampus 
And Kravis gets to flirt with the girl, and St. Nicholas has to watch from a distance, and then rain all in, guys, come on, be good little boys and girls. So yeah, I think every night you could play that if you really want to dip into your mm. uh, 70s stereotypes. I love it. I, I, I feel like this is, this is a new understanding. Now, now do it again, but with Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Uh, so I think that's all that we have time for this Yule. Uh, so happy St. Nicholas's Day, and uh, we'll see you in hell. Bye. Buy your kids some jeans. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll get slapped with a lung. Oof. This podcast is copyright 2020 by The Dispatchist and is Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.